Hello and welcome back to Top Road Podcast. Days to nights with Asia Man back in the studio. Zach, how are you? I'm good, Delph. Just got off playing from California yesterday, so I'm a bit jet lagged. But um, main thing is I'm up, <laughs> I'm alive, all as well. Excited to get back into another podcast. It's been about three weeks. Yeah, no, I've been, been patiently waiting for you to get back, but no better time to come back than Six Nations and plenty of content to get through. But please announce we got some got some good insight today. We've got rugby journalist Charlie Morgan on to give us an insight into kind of the England squad. How are you, Charlie? Very well. Thanks for having me. No problem. Well, we'll just get straight into it, really. I think the most obvious one kind of that everyone's talking about, you always look at articles online, it's one part of this and one part of that. Overall, it's actually out for the Six Nations. So before we kind of get into kind of the midfield and kind of who you think you'd, would be a good partnership and stuff, in terms of leadership, in terms of Farrell being out with a leader, who's going to, do you think is going to step up in kind of that leadership group? Because I know Laws, is, Laws had a few injury issues as well. Now Johnny May's on, who's been experienced as well. Yeah, so as we as we uh, are speaking on, on Friday, Courtney Laws hasn't been able to, um, train in the week leading in this last week in, in Brighton at England's training camp. So he'd been the um, captain for England in the two tests in the autumn that uh, Farrell missed. Um, really interesting kind of setup that they've got. They had, they before that autumn series, they named um, a group of vice captains. Uh, Luke Kawandiki was originally in that, but then was ruled out of the autumn through injury. So you'd imagine he'd be quite a senior voice over that autumn. Ellis Genge was a vice captain and Courtney Laws was a vice captain, obviously subsequently got promoted. And the other one was Tom Curry. Now, Tom Curry with Laws and Farrell out, Tom Curry has been doing the uh, media duties at the Six Nations launch, which is a pretty thankless task in itself. But that kind of, I guess, kind of shows that that's, he's pretty close to getting that promotion. Um, he'd obviously be a first choice pick in the side, which, which really kind of, um, which is an endorsement of, of his chances. Um, I think they're they're certainly in a kind of they've been in a transition state as far as their leadership throughout Jones's tenure. It's felt like they had, um, in some ways, Dylan Hartley's position in the team was quite reminiscent of Farrell's um, as far as just being an uh, uh, head and shoulders kind of above the rest as far as a captaincy candidate, just because he'd done it for so long and had built up experience in that role. Um, so yeah, I think. If Laws is out, it's really interesting. Um, my guess would be that Curry gets it, but um, even if you look at the, as, as they've been kind of pointing out this week in media, there are a lot of guys in that squad who've captained their clubs. So Jamie George, um, Curry's done it a little bit for sale. You've had George Ford, who's back now, who's done it for Leicester. Um, so there is certainly Genge have it. Genge had a great season um, as a leader for Leicester too. Um, so there are candidates there. My guess would be Curry. Someone like Henry Slade even has um, captained Exeter and was a vice captain for England against South Africa. So loads of candidates and wherever they go um, will be really interesting and kind of, kind of decide how they, they pick the side and what, and what the lineup looks like. Yeah, the, the Maratoji one's really interesting as well because his kind of name never really gets put in the hat. And Eddie Jones did come out and say that was that he was too inward looking with his personality that he didn't feel he would kind of suit. I know Mara is someone that you've talked to and you've kind of interviewed recently. Do you feel that that maybe was just a classic Eddie Jones trying to trying to get him to kind of just keep pushing on? Because I thought Mara would have been a kind of dead surfer future in captain, but it's really looking like it's not really going down that road. 
yeah, I think maybe maybe to give him a spur, maybe to sell a few more books might have been the reasoning. Um, yeah, him. So him and Maro Soji is a really interesting case because I don't know I didn't um, mention him in that big waffle at the beginning, but both him and Carl Sinclair, when you watch England and when you've got a ref mic on, those two are real energy givers. They are re really they lead through their action and lead what they're saying on the field, whether or not they have kind of these official roles within within the leadership group per se um so in some ways you can look at that two ways either they're not thought of as leaders but i can't i can't really think that that would be the case for me it would be that those guys are going to lead regardless of whether they have those official roles or not and as you say toji an england under 20 captain he actually did a bit um very early on in his senior career with saracens in the um, Anglo-Welsh, can't, can't remember what it was called then, potentially the LV Cup. Um, so he was captaining kind of players who are a lot more senior than him. So he's had that experience. I just wonder whether Jones feels that he doesn't have to give those play players like um, Itoji and Sinclair those official roles because they're going to be leading anyway. And, um, you know, and those and the presence of those guys just adds to that leadership group that, that England have. Yeah, no, that's something that we've talked about, Zag, in terms of giving players the responsibility to lead actually puts them up a level. You've seen it with Ellis Gange for the Tigers. Like, the minute he got given captaincy, he took his game to the next level. And someone like Marrow is performing eight and nines regularly and consistently that maybe doesn't need that kind of captaincy boost. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think Marrow told you one's interesting. It's funny, you were you literally took my question. So I thought it was my next thing. It's just like, what about, what about Marrow? Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's kind of the argument. Um, it, it will be very interesting. I think like what you said, Charlie, there, the Tom Curry kind of taking over uh, media duties. It may be more, maybe captaincies kind of a wee bit more ceremonial and kind of practice than um, maybe we kind of fail to realise kind of in the, I suppose, maybe in the non-mini journalist world where you kind of are there <laughs> first time watching it and interviewing and, and, and stuff like that. Um, so, so we've talked about Owen Farrell. He leaves a vacuum in terms of leadership. Tom Curry is, was one of the potential kind of people to fill that role. What about then in terms of the centre itself, his actual position? What do you think is going to happen um, first game of the Six Nations? Great question. Um, I think the so the context behind behind this before Farrell's injury is that um, Jones gave an interview to the BBC where he said he was still kind of wedded to the idea of Farrell and Smith at 10 and 12. And I, I actually thought that went pretty well in that Australia game. I didn't think it was disastrous at all, but it was kind of helped by the fact that they had Manu Laggy there. They needed a sort of hole puncher there too, to balance it out. Um, having With Jones having picked um, Jack Noel and, Carriers like Alfie Barber, Luke Cowan, Dickey, it could maybe have, they could maybe have had a look at um, Smith, Farrell, Slade as a 10, 12, 13. That has looked in, in balance in the past when Ford has been there instead of Smith. Um, but it's meant to be raining at Murrayfield and that would be a potentially pragmatic choice. I think, um, think, I think you have to keep the um, Smith and Slade Smith and Slade partnership together um, because that's something that's been building. That's a little kind of partnership that Jones has been building since last summer when they played USA and Canada. Um, I think they look very good against South Africa, but I think it looks best with 
um, a line runner at 13. So if that in that South Africa game, that was too laggy to start with. And then it was marching and marching actually punches above his weight in there, um, cuts really clever angles. Someone they've picked that I think is a really interesting pick um, that could potentially complement those guys as Luke North, Northmore. And then you've got the kind of the chemistry of Harlequins. He's a versatile guy, can shift to the wing, him and March and kind of flip between those two roles for, for Harlequins. Um, people have been saying that um, Atkinson and Slade is kind of complementary partnership, but I, I'm not sure I agree with that totally because they've this shape that England run with the, your first receiver as one of the centres with your fly half fly, uh, going out the back with a blind centre, they've used that so much. And there are, you know, it's a... It's a launch play that teams around the world use and there are a lot of options in it but Slade and Atkinson play a similar role within that so I'm not sure whether that would jar and that would almost be the same as playing um, Smith uh, sorry Slade with Farrell which is the big criticism is that in that case Slade you haven't got the best out of Slade so it'd be my I, I think it, the, as far as balance goes I think they want to keep Smith and Slade together you know left foot right foot so much going for that budding chemistry and then someone like it's big, it's a big shout chucking him in at Murrayfield, but someone like Luke, Luke Northmore failing that, you just stick with what was on the field at the end of the South Africa game, which is Marchant, and he's he's been excellent, won't let anybody down. Yeah, the the thing of Marchant is, I don't I feel because he isn't physically as big as the other centre spots. You said like I feel he's one of the most underrated players that any time he's played for he's played great. And I could see him if he's not in center, definitely like finding a way onto the wing if he doesn't make it in the center. But no, it is interesting, especially like in terms of I don't know now how long would there be kind of any I know nowadays and with the way Eddie plays, everyone's interchangeable, but there's no kind of out and out 12 that would kind of wire 12 consistently. Do you think that's an issue, or do you think in terms of style of play, Eddie will continue with this kind of interchangeable people playing the wing, people playing the center? I think it's 100% an issue. I think it's the reason that Owen Farrell's had so many tests at 12 as opposed to as opposed to 10 is because he's, he's now some time ago overtook the amount of tests he's had at 12 as opposed to 10, which is kind of interesting in itself and not something you would have thought during the previous World Cup cycle. Um, sorry, the previous, previous World Cup cycle. Um, there just hasn't been Atkinson would be an out and out 12. Someone like Oli Devoto being out and out 12. Max Ajomo and Dan Kelly are probably slightly too young for this Six Nations and probably might end up being slightly too young for the next World Cup. Um, so maybe caught between two stools a bit there. Um, I think Slade, when Slade came on the scene, um, and kind of graduated senior rugby, having come through as a fly half, he looked like he'd be a perfect 12. A bit, bit kind of you know, tough, a tough guy, um, but then a really silky ball player. He's looked really comfortable in that role for Exeter, but he's had, um, so in the, I went to go and watch their game um, against Glasgow and Exeter played that, that strike player who's been talking about the England news so nicely, cut, cut Glasgow apart with it. Um, but really important to that was Ian Witten's kind of really unselfish, those really unselfish hard lines. So England needs somebody who can fulfill that role. Um, so yeah, it's different. Yeah, so, so long. Uh, long story short, certainly an issue, but I can and, and I can certainly see sort of a bit more, um, bit more sort of wheeling and dealing with team sheets and numbers on team sheets to kind of fill the holes and make sure the roles are fulfilled as opposed to you know traditionally traditional um, positions. Yeah, it's funny you say about Ian Witten. Those two Ulster men, I can vouch for Zach. Zach's favourite player for Exeter is Ian Witten. He does not. 
on the podcast. He, it's a buzzword, really. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I remember doing an interview with him ages ago, and he just said, "Look, I, I, I pride myself on things that require zero talent." And I just thought, "You, you're the man." Like, yes, sold, sold for the. And it's, it's. He was. You know what? He, the week before that, by a kind of coincidence, covered Exeter a fair bit this season, covering covering them again this weekend in the game against Harlequins he was he was immense he was um on the wing that day and they lost um had a red card to, to Alec Hepburn and he went he they sacrificed a full sacrificed a back sorry so Witten was in the back three he just worked worked so hard and that kind of that basically kept kept extra in the game yeah he's underrated deserves more praise I think especially from Ulster and Irish men alike as well they need to understand what we've been missing in the yeah. national game, you know um i think your question for me charlie is we're still going on about wood file but england have a successful six nations whatever they do kind of filling that hole he's left positionally wise do you think he still has a place in the team because i know that there's a lot of question marks over him um kind of maybe last year and stuff like that maybe fair unfair kind of remains open to debate um, but um, in terms of that, do you think Owen Farrell still has a place? Um, yeah, I think it, it's tough, isn't it? Because he, the last last autumn was set up for him to kind of prove that the, I actually think, I actually think, and that, you know, you may disagree, it's absolutely fine if you do. I thought his last Six Nations, he was poor against Scotland. He was, looked rusty against Italy as well. I think from there, he was all right. I think he was pretty good against Wales. I think he was good against France and then with Ireland the wheels fell off for England just totally anyway. So um, nobody looked particularly good. Um, then obviously um, after that, the Lions kind of, Lions just went very strangely for different players and it was sort of a toss up to see who, who got game time, where they got game time. And he looked okay on that tour until that game against South Africa A. Um, so the autumn was kind of set up for him to kind of prove that, Proved that he still had value in the setup, and then again, circumstances with that false positive COVID test came around, and then he injured his ankle. Just a just a bizarre. He's had a bizarre kind of eighteen months really since the last World Cup, longer than that. Um, so yeah, very strange. I think it, it's it, it's a situation slightly reminiscent of Dylan Hartley, whereby Dylan Hartley just couldn't get fit. Dylan Hartley's a bit older, um, and I think actually, again, was at the. I was at the one of the games earlier this season. The Premiership that I was at was um, Saracens against Leicester, and although Leicester ended up coming back to win, it was Farrell's first game back. He just he looked quality, like at that level. Just it was a horrible day, and his um, his kind of game management. He actually made a break from the backfield, which was fairly rare, but he just looked. He was opposite George Ford, and George Ford's got you know rightly got a lot of props to his form this year but Farrell looked a class above pretty much anything on the field that day um I don't think Jones will, will look past him kind of on the basis of him not being around for a year because if you look at his favorites um not just people like Tuilagi someone like Jack Knoll he's given every 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 chance to get back fit so um yeah, I would say he'd still be around. I think what would be, what's really kind of maybe underrated about him is that ability to switch between ten and twelve, and actually that how much um, how much that gives you within a twenty-three, because actually fitting Smith and Ford in the same twenty-three isn't a given because England love that six-two bench so much. So yeah, I, I would say he's still got chance, but I would say equally he's got a lot to prove. 
Yeah, mm, that's the way to put it. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think <laughs> even though he's not playing, there'll still be Farrell debate. So it, I, I heard as well, he's, he's turned his notifications off on social media. Like all that just shows like the level that he's at in terms of everyone just going after him. But one final question kind of away from Farrell onto the new kind of golden boy, Freddie Stewart. Um, I had this debate with the guy I live with, Harvey. I was trying to be a bit Eddie Jonesy and I was like, I reckon he could be on the wing, the Six Nations. And he was like, no, you're being stupid. You're being stupid. Played at 15, he smashed it in the arm. What are you chatting top? You're trying to be a new journalist, trying to be mavericky. But he's played quite. He's played there quite a lot for Tigers. And with Elliot Daly coming back in, I genuinely think it could be an option. Oh, 100%, yeah. He, he, he's been there. He was there, in effect, wearing 15, but he was there, in effect, against Australia because they had Slade at 15. Um, they, picked, they said... That gave Manu Tulagi the 14 shirt, but played him as a centre, with the only difference being Tulagi was back, um, spent a bit more time in the backfield. Um, I can certainly see it happening. You've got guys like um, Malins and George Furbank will be very valuable because of that versatility. Um, Malins has probably had a bit more time on the wing um, for Saracens, and he's kind of improved those kind of nuts and bolts, kick chase and stuff like that. Um, but certainly, certainly an option, and he as I say, was on the wing against Australia, scored that try coming off the wing in that pattern that um, England are using a lot. So 100% can see that happening. And it'd be just really interesting. It's kind of, he's, he's played there for Leicester, but at the same time, Joe, the way Jones sets up sides, I think makes you think as a, as a journal, you know, not just as a journalist, as a, as a, as a rugby supporter, rugby watcher, makes you think about, the roles it's all it's all about how how a backline comes together and fulfills a certain amount of roles isn't it and i think you know we're going to get to the point where it's going to be i think he's got a point jones where eventually rigid positions are going to look a bit archaic i know he's been kind of he's absolutely not shy of throwing a grenade in a press conference so you report on that and not on something else um but i, I think that's i think steward is somebody who is adaptable and that as well as his solidity under the high ball his toughness clearly his men his mentality that adaptability is a really big um asset for him no he was definitely the standout in the autumn and i think it's a different step up kind of either saying six nations your your away days and stuff to the millennium and all and it's kind of that different a different intensity so if he can do it in six nations then i think not, I think he already is nailed on for the next decade, but I'd say him and Smith would be too. And then just to finally ask, um, what's your overall predictions in terms of if you had to put your neck on the line? We had we had a Welsh journalist on last week and he sat on the fence as all Welsh people do. He tried to underplay themselves and was just saying it was a development Six Nations further further forth. Um, I feel most of the teams kind of are trying to use the phrase development Six Nations, but what do you think, Eddie Jones in England? How do you think they'll get on? It's tough for England, isn't it? Because there's so much unknown. It's really interesting you brought up Smith as well as as Stewart because you're totally right in saying that I think you know, obviously Smith has just come off beating the world champions, but I feel like a full, a protracted tournament against teams like Wales and Scotland and Ireland, that's that's totally different again. France as well, obviously, is these, these are these are stringing together really tough test matches and it's step into the unknown for him as it is for a lot of this England team so it's really really tough to know I think kind of working backwards I think Ireland and Ireland look 
out on their own, I'd say, at the minute, just as far as their cohesion and um, how their tax now clicking to go with just these, these crazy athletes they've got in that type five um, and, a, and, a, and insanely good back row as well. Um, then I'd probably have France just below that and, and certainly probably below that if they're kind of going to be struggling off the back of a um, bit of a COVID outbreak, haven't they? So, and then, uh, you know, if, if England win this first one, I can see them cha- challenging, but equally it could spiral and it's not going to be easy, this first one, especially they've got a few niggly injuries in tough positions. So it's it's so difficult. Can I be on the fence as well? Can I be on the fence if I say that Ireland will win it? We'll, we'll yeah. give you that as Irishman. We'll, we'll take okay. that. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be our sign bite. Appreciate it. <laughs> but weirdly, I've seen some of the Irish media saying that they don't want to win it because we know what happens with Ireland when they win a <laughs> Six Nations eighteen months out from World Cup. But I don't think you can think like that. You're just going to have a fight to fight to be underdogs again. That's what it's pretty much every year, isn't it? Anyway, for everybody. <laughs> yeah, everyone wants to finish third or second. Yeah. Um, no, big thanks, Charlie. We'll, we'll let you head and I appreciate Thank things you, honestly. your busy schedule. Yeah, no worries. Enjoy that. I'm now pleased to announce that after a brilliant insight there from Charlie, we have a fan's input. So we decided to get the journalist to cover the, the backs and get the fan to cover the forwards. Unless, Harvey, you want us to call you a, a journalist and an expert as well. But no, I think you're probably setting the expectations correctly if you call me a fan. We'll stick with that. We'll stick with that. Well, sometimes I, I make sense and other times I potentially don't. So well, uh, we'll go with that. Do a poll on Twitter. Who do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> but if the poll is just regarding me, it's not going to be a very big one. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, well, we kind of talked yeah. about the backs, didn't we? We've covered kind of all um, the farrels and all this and that. So into the park we go. Um, what Charlie did say, Harv, as well, um, which I thought you find very interesting, is he sees Tom Curry as kind of that that main leader, which, funny enough, is something that you've been championing for the last for the last six months. Do you personally want him in seven, six, eight? Where do you think Eddie will go with him? Um, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because I think well, we'll probably get onto it because it's something I want to talk about, but. I see Curry playing seven because I think it suits him, but then also it suits the rest of the team as well. If you want to talk about the rest of the pack, because yeah, yeah it just, it, I think it, it pulls the best attributes out of everyone. Um, so I easily see him being seven. I think it gives him that freedom to get around, get onto the back of every single ruck like he loves to do. Um, pick his moments, you know, give him that freedom to basically use his energy, use his tenacity, and then get a bit of ball carrying in there as well. Get involved in the play. I think, yeah, playing him seven is probably where I'd play him. Yeah. Personally, I've always seen him as seven, but the another thing we're chatting about positions aren't becoming becoming less important. So at the end of the day, six, seven, eight, he's still doing Tom Curry things. So that makes sense from the pitch, even though his position it's classic rugby, very kind of old school traditional numbers. But like, well, if, no I matter think... what number he has, he's going to be doing the same job on the pitch. Well, you, you, you know, you look at the squad and you know, I've got the list here and there's potentially three eights who are all kind of specialist eights. Two is two in particular in Don Brandon Simmons and then potentially Barbary as well. So, you know, if you play Curry at eight, which is, I'd say, the only other logical place to play him, you're, <laughs> you're going to have two eights on the bench potentially. And then it just seems so counterproductive. It doesn't seem like you're getting the best out of the squad. Like I know, don't get me wrong, I think he's a great eight. I think he plays really well at eight and he's obviously done it a lot for England already. Um, but 
I just see, yeah, a bigger picture wise, I just see him being seven. It just makes more sense. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, because to leave out Don Branton or Simmons is 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 crazy. Um, which is, I guess, a question in itself. Simmons or Don Brandt? Or oh, Barbary is. Yeah, I, I really rate that kid. I think he's he. It's him and someone else for me because you don't bring him in and not play him. If you know what I mean. I personally don't think I get the vibe off Eddie, but as we all know, you can't take Eddie at face value. Simmons would be he he prefers Dombrant over Simmons due to who he played in the autumn. So then Barbary coming back fit, coming back firing would probably then leapfrog Simmons potentially because he's a bit younger and he's got the next. Yeah, I feel like Simmons as well is also your bench option, especially if he does a six-two split. I don't even know him. Sorry. Yeah, because you could go Dombrant eight, and then those two both on the bench, and there's no real yeah. issue. I could easily see that happening. Yeah, so there's there's that element, and also Don Brandt's chemistry with Martin Marcus could play a factor, I think, as well. Um, those two seem to love each other and seem to always be turning up in the big moments for Harlequins. So yeah. I think Don Brandt as well is probably the more well-rounded. Eh? I think everyone the question marks when he was starting to break through and put his name in the in the pot was his output, and it wasn't quite at the same level as Sam Simmons, for example. But I think he's proven that that's improved as part of his game. And then I think when you think about his stature and I know we don't always want to just talk about who we've had in terms of, you know, people like Billy Venapola, but you know, you build teams off these kind of players and you sometimes set tactics up in that way as well. And if you can get as much of a like for like in terms of the power, I know you get much more pace probably with Barbary and Simmons, but I don't know. I just see a more well-rounded player in Dombrant. I think particularly with the use on like, for example, lineouts as well. And I think his, his utility around that as well. It's yeah. something that could be really powerful. And for me, yeah, I, I, I would like to see Don Brandt start personally. I'd like to see Don Brandt. I think Barbary, it's potentially a little bit too soon for him. The guy's 21. Like, it's mad. He's had, don't get me wrong, he's had an incredible season. His, his try scoring ability is a joke. But the exact same was for Simmons. And that doesn't necessarily translate. Like, don't get me wrong, Simmons hasn't had a, a bunch of time in the England side. But I've never seen him in an England top and gone, wow, that's the Simmons who plays for Exeter. That's Simmons. Yeah, and I don't know if that's me being harsh because maybe he hasn't had as much of a time or opportunity to do that. But my, from the fan perspective, I guess you can say that style of rugby doesn't translate as well when you go into international rugby. Just that like crash ball, very one-dimensional run and hope you bounce off anyone. It doesn't, like, don't get me wrong, he'll put three against Italy and we'll all be thinking he's amazing. But most players who can ball carry with a bit of pace can do that as well. And I yeah. think, I don't it's know. Yeah, it's an interesting thing you brought up there because it feels like Simmons just can't really transfer. Like, Exeter have such a unique style, uh, which wins games, wins trophies. Um, like, there's, you can't argue against it, but Eddie just is just different. And if he plays Blumier, he's the one that's going to want to nick every try off a set piece. Yeah. So you ain't getting that ball off him. <laughs> he's well, not going to be feeding it back to you. That's the thing. <laughs> on to Hooker, um, Jimmy George got dropped in the autumn. Injury made him get back into the side, and he's now. I think that was a bit of Eddie just saying, Jimmy, I can do a Dylan Hartley to you if you don't perform. And now I think Jimmy has switched on like every meeting, not talking, not having a bit of an arse about with Maratoji at the back of the class. He is like sitting at the front asking questions, realizing I might be experienced, but Eddie can drop me anytime. And I think you also got to remember, it'll be the classic yeah. Count Dickie George. 
I can't see him. Um, Jones is going to probably start every game if he stays fit. Mm. I genuinely no, Colin Dickey's a lion. So is George, though, isn't he? I think with George, though, he 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 probably felt. I don't know if this is looking too much into it, but he probably felt he'd done his apprenticeship under Hartley, and he he you know he'd spent so much time not being the number one. Then he got it, and he kind of had it for a few years, and then Cowan Dickey started coming through the ranks. And I think you're probably right. He he took his foot off the gas a little bit and was just being a bit too blasé with it all and then kind of got that kick up the backside and it's taken him a bit to just get back into it. Also, I still think, I, I it's quite controversial, but I think Jamie George is a better hooker. I'm sorry to say it. I think he is. But I don't know. I think, I would say Jamie George is a more well-rounded hooker, but it depends what you want in a hooker. Because if you want Luke Kondicke, Luke Kondicke offers you something which Jamie George doesn't. I'd say Luke Kondicke is a modern day hooker. Yeah, I would actually. I would say Jamie George. I would actually say Jamie George is one of the last of his generation, of that generation of hooker. I think Luke Kondicke is. He's he's a lot more versatile. Um, yeah, if you you know you know what I mean. Like it's a good point, Tuff. I think so. But you also, say that. Yeah, I think I think Cowan Dickey's more versatile when you think about him physically, but I think an actual open play, Jamie George offers a lot more than Cowan Dickey in terms of ball in hand. Maybe not defensively, but ball in hand, I think he's actually got a lot to offer. Okay. A lot to offer. Yeah, that's, that's an, yeah. Maybe. And then alongside George, in terms of combinations, I know you're a big Ellis Gange fan. A lot of people who are champion Joe Mahler and using Gage as impact man, but when do we get to the stage where Gage, we chatted about this on the Scotland pod, um, the last pod that was on, sometimes you get a label, Chris Harris got the label as a defensive 13, and people can't get that out of his head, Gage has got the label as the energy man, impact, impact sub, rather than just, he's unreal, just starting, but props are different, like props, they have to call them starters and finishers. They don't like that South Africa mindset of they have a sixth front row rather than starting on bench. It makes more sense for Mahler v Gange, for Gange to come off the bench for Mahler than the other way around. But then you can flip it on his head and say, why does Mahler not come on and offer a bit of solidity, assure up the scrum, make sure there's no late scrum penalties? Well, this is, this is like the... We basically over the autumn, this was our whole fight, or even over the Lions. Do you start Ali Price and then bring on the experience of Conor Murray to see out a game, or do you start with Conor Murray's experience to kind of ruin down and then bring Ali Price on as an impact kind of sub? So it's, it's kind of like it's kind of swings and roundabouts in some sense. It's kind of like you yeah. just have to and don't get me wrong, um, Mahler picked up COVID as well, so I don't know if he'll be fully 100% going into the into yeah. the first game, which leads again to this is kind of more of a a full Six Nations campaign kind of debate. Yeah, like this is the thing. Like we're talking about it on that Scotland pod. Like teams that are going to do well are going to need luck. Uh, I no COVID outbreaks. Um, or if you're going to have a COVID outbreak, have it after or have it at the two week window so you can take the week to recover and then go again. Or um, let it be your third choice nine or something. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be a crunch game, you know, because obviously they play back to back at the start, but they play back to back at the end, like. You have a COVID outbreak in your team. All of a sudden, you're, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're pulling in boys who haven't played for a couple of years. You know, say Billy or Mako, all of a sudden is starting the final crunch game and haven't played the entire Six Nations. And then obviously, think, like, they cards and stuff as well. But it's just, it is kind of like, it's just going to come down to a bit of, a bit of luck. 
I think that's the important thing. I don't know, looking particularly in that front row as well, though, although in terms of caps, it's not very, it's not massively experienced, maybe in comparison to some other nations. You've got a lot of experience in club level and you've got a lot of, you know, these aren't players that are, you know, Blumet obviously doesn't get a fat lot of games potentially at Newcastle, but he's had a really good run. I think that confidence carries him when he comes into England, if he even starts that, if he even features that is. Um, but for, just Blumier, in general, mate, I love him. I don't know what it is. I love him. But yeah, no, talking about, yeah, talking about um, Genj and, Genj and Marlow, I think it's, for me, I see Marlow starting. I think Genj, like you said, Telfer's got that bit of a reputation, um, but I think he offers more energy coming off the bench than Marla does. And Marla's been proven that, you know, he did it for Quinns. He can last a long time in a game, um, but he can also be do 50, be shot, and you're going to get a really good shift out of Genj. So, No, that's interesting. Your, your pack's kind of coming together for that first game. So, Genj, will you count to clear George? Will you fencer? I'm George. George sinks we don't need to chat about sinks i think since he had his little emotional moment for lions and all like he again is the one that's realized nothing is granted in this game yeah. and he has put his head mm-hmm. down hill and maro have they've got to find that partnership and it's it's good and we've had yeah. but we we doubted johnny hill on the pod but like he came he came good and i was not doubting johnny hill okay i just want to stay up for the record I'm Exeter through and through. I rate him. I rate him. He, he did make a few errors, didn't he, on his kind of his early games for England. Um, and he was a bit... But I think I think I don't think he's... If you want to talk about impact players, I don't think he's one. I think you need to start him if you're going to play him. Otherwise, he he's doesn't feature. He's not one that needs... The whole thing about opportunity for growth, you give him an opportunity. Yeah, he might have even got a bit excited in his first couple of games, got give away a few penalties consistently. If you don't punish him for the rest of his life of one game, he grew into the jersey. For me, he solidified that mainly because Laws now is starting to be six with Curry and I said Dombrandt. You go in young Smith, then take it away, Harv. We'll let you do the hard bit. Before, before oh, we're we chatting back, slow, yeah. Before we get in, before I have to nip off here, but I'm going to do it casually that the listeners don't know this. Um, <laughs> I just want to say, from my perspective, I think kind of he starts to counteract the intensity and work rate of Hamish Watson and Jimmy Ritchie the breakdown. Um to have that extra player in there alongside Curry and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But well well Zach, before you do casually nip off, no one actually knowing that you nip off because this is audio. Give us your prediction for England, where they finish. Just say how it is. I don't want this yeah, sitting say, on the say bench. How it is. Say how it is. Um <laughs> a lot of rides in the first game. Um I don't think England have it in them again. Um, but I don't mean that. I still think I still think they're building something. Um, I still think they're building something. It's a building Six Nations classic. You think of Welsh saying that. Um, so, no, I'm going to go. I'm probably going to say England maybe finishing third. But at the same time, I wouldn't be worried if I was an England fan because I still think they're in the mix for next year and, more importantly, World Cup, genuinely. But um, yeah, that's my thoughts. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say third, but like they're not in it in the final game week, um, sort of thing. Uh, I get you, I get you. And Arv, sorry, just finishing off your starting team there, and then we'll get your prediction. So Youngs, I know you're a Youngs fan, Smithy. Uh, young Smith, I think. Look, I'm just having a little scan there. In terms of twelve, I think it's mad to say it, but 
why not Atkinson? Yeah. Why not? You know, I think, yeah, I think if anything, you know, obviously Farrell would be your 12 if he was fit and if he was through this tournament, but he's not going to be. Um, and with Ford coming in, I don't see him, Bailey or Smith really being a 12. I think they're all 10s. So you kind of have to switch your plans a little bit there. So, yeah, I think you either blend the 13 in, which I don't see happening, or use Atkinson. And in my opinion, we'll go Atkinson. So, yeah, Atkinson's my 12. Freddie, I hear enough about you every evening about Freddie Stewart. You love the man. 15, no issues. Yeah. Mays out. Who's on your wings? From On the wing for me, it's going to be Jack Knoll and Ollie Hassel Collins. Can't even say his Ooh. name. <laughs> That's a good one to clip up. Primary reason is with Jack, with Freddie Stewart and Jack Knoll, you've got two players who are extremely good and don't get me wrong, incredible with the ball, but I always like to have one player who's just got burners. I think it's important to have, particularly on the break, I think it's important to have to keep the defence second guessing. Um, so yeah, that's why I stick with him, I think, on the other wing, because you just have that, you have that dynamism, you have that, you know what you're going to get from him. I think, that's in, I think that's important, particularly on the wing anyway. So that's why I go with him. And then 13... Slady. No, you can't go wrong, Slady. And as Charlie said earlier on the pod, interestingly, it's an angle that I didn't think Slade captain Exer a lot at the start of the season and stuff. So he's starting to develop into that leadership role. And I'd be very I wouldn't be surprised when those little YouTube dots come out that he next levels. If mm. you don't see Slady having a big very senior role with how he wants the back line to move and stuff, but what you think about I was just, sorry, I was just going to say, just touching on that, you think about the um, the vice captains that I think were selected initially for Eddie Jones, and they were pretty much all forwards. It was, I think, Curry, Genge, Laws, and then obviously you had Farrell as your captain. But with Farrell being out, uh, you know, having that leadership is vital. And I still see Marcus Smith. I think he's far too good not to start. So although the 10's relatively inexperienced in terms of England, you need that leader, don't you? So I think for Slady to be 13 is very important because he could offer that leadership in the backs potentially. Who knows? With so much leadership, especially in the forwards. Having your team, kind of having the people that are available, and when you think about it, and as we know, saying there, we've plugged it a lot, the Scotland pod. Um, I think Scotland will win that first game because it's in Murrayfield. I think England will have a bounce back, and I think it'll be one of those ones that you start bad, you build it, you, we might win it, and then you have another dip at the end. So I reckon England... Second, I'm going second. I don't, it's impossible for two back to back fifths. I'll happily eat my words, but I think they come second, but not, not beyond first slam or anything, if you know, if that makes sense. Just kind of like creep, creeping into second. Yeah, I think I don't see us winning it either. I'm not going to be deluded and say I think we are. I think we spoke, we touched on a little bit when we did the Wales pod chatting about um, the desire to win and the need to win. And I don't think England are at the top of that list in terms of the, the candidates to win it. Um, don't get me wrong, everyone wants to win. But I think this year is more about trying out these players that are uncapped or very low caps, you know, capitalising on the form they've got for their clubs and showing what they can do on an international stage. And don't get me wrong, I think the side I mentioned is easily good enough to win it. But with all the trials and tribulations that's going to go on with this COVID stuff and everything else, it's so unpredictable. And I could just see, yeah, I, 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 I'll probably agree with you. Second or third, I reckon. Um, 
but I'm not going to agree with you when you say we're going to lose to Scotland. I, I can't see us losing twice on the bat. Like, it just can't happen. It can't happen. Um, I don't care for in Murrayfield. I don't care. I think the players that I mentioned and whoever Eddie will pick, he'll know what to do. You want players full with confidence because don't get me wrong, it's going to be it's going to be really tough and it's going to be a hell of a lot of pressure on those players. But And Scotland are going to come out fighting. But yeah, I think you've got to go with energy. You've got to go with charisma. You've got to go with plenty of confidence and you've got to believe you can actually beat them because we're giving them far too much credit than they deserve. Don't get me wrong, they've got some great players, but we can steamroll them if we really put ourselves together. So we need to do that. And I genuinely think we're going to beat them by 15 points, I reckon. There you go. Um, no, I think we'll leave away. And with all the previews we've seen, uh, everyone's kind of too scared to say they're going to win it. Everyone's putting themselves second and third. It's, it's interesting. Uh, the final preview pod then will be on um, probably Friday, uh, Thursday or Friday time, just ahead of that. Of the first first games on Saturday, that'll be the big one, the Ireland one, which will probably be the longest with me and Zach rambling on. But uh, <laughs> me this far in the podcast, make sure to like and subscribe. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Top of the Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Rugby Tell and Instagram, Top Rugby Podcast. And of course on Spotify, which hopefully you're all listening on the Top Rugby Podcast on Spotify. And I'll catch you next week. Cheers.